the message uh, that the Lord has given me for this morning is taken from 1 Kings chapter 8 and verses 37 to 39. So the first book of Kings and the 8th chapter, and let me just read uh, from verse 37 to verse 39. When there is famine in the land, pestilence, or blights, or mildew, locusts, or grasshoppers, when their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own hearts and spreads out his hands, towards the temple, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. Well, one uh, thing uh, that's uh, I've been doing recently uh, is looking at uh, what the Bible has to say about uh, uh, the situation uh, we are in uh, at this moment uh, with uh, this horrible virus. And when you look especially at some Old Testament passages, uh, you have references uh, to uh, either the plague or the pestilence, uh, which is uh, what uh, this coronavirus uh, is like, and uh, God has much to say uh, in his word uh, regarding these things. And in the verses uh, that we are going to consider this morning, uh, Solomon, uh, who succeeded David as king of Israel, uh, has just built the temple, and he's praying his dedication prayer, and I think it's the fourth petition in his prayer where he describes a scenario uh, where uh, there is uh, a plague upon the people of God. Uh, it's not just the pestilence, but there are other things mentioned, uh, such as uh, the locusts and being defeated by uh, a foreign army. Uh, but uh, the lesson here for the children of Israel was this. If uh, God uh, caused uh, the pestilence to come upon them, uh, it was for a reason. Uh, it was to bring them uh, to their knees so that they would call upon God in prayer and that he would heal them. Uh, they were in a special relationship to God. And if you look at Deuteronomy 28, uh, you have there, uh, what we call covenant curses, uh, and uh, the pestilence uh, was one of those. And whenever uh, the children of Israel uh, rebelled against God and turned away from him, uh, then God would cause uh, these chastisements uh, to come upon his people. And in Solomon's prayer, he's praying uh, according to all these different scenarios that I mentioned in Deuteronomy. Uh, and uh, he says, Lord, hear from heaven. Uh, if 
we, your people, uh, humble ourselves and repent and turn again to you. But you may be asking, how can that be relevant to us? Uh, because we are not like the children of Israel. Uh, the children of Israel were in a theocracy, that is, uh, a country that was ruled directly uh, by God. Now, there's no nation on earth today uh, which has that kind of relationship uh, to the true and the living God. Uh, the theocracy now is the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, and what we can say uh, today is whenever there is uh, a plague or a virus, that we can be 100% certain uh, that it is a judgment of God upon a people. We don't know that. It may well be, uh, but we are also living in a fallen world, and these things have always uh, been parts of life in this world. But what I'm interested this morning uh, is this. What Solomon says here about uh, this uh, pestilence is uh, spiritual. Uh, let me quote uh, from uh, his supplication. Uh, he puts it uh, like this, verse 38, uh, the middle uh, of the verse. Whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, now th this is the relevance to us. We're not in a theocracy in our country. Uh, but when each one knows the plague of his own hearts, when each one knows the plague of his own hearts, that's the relevance to you and me uh, in uh, the 21st century uh, in uh, our country. Uh, and this is where I want to begin this morning. The plague of the hearts. This is what the Bible is really all about. Uh, it talks about a horrible uh, disease, a spiritual disease, uh, that is very much like uh, a plague, like this coronavirus. But it's also uh, much worse than that. And of course, this uh, plague is named sin in the Bible. Now then, what... What is uh, sin? Uh, why is it compared here uh, to uh, the plague of the heart? Well, to begin with, it's invisible, uh, like this virus. Uh, we, we don't see, do we, uh, who is affected. All we see are the symptoms. Uh, and it's exactly like that when it comes to this spiritual virus that we call sin. It's the plague of the hearts. It begins in our desires. That's what uh, the Bible means by the hearts. Uh, it doesn't just refer uh, to our emotions, but to uh, the very uh, control room of our being. And th this is what this spiritual disease of sin is like. It's something invisible. It's something you and I can't see to begin with because it's to do with the desires and the intentions of our hearts. 
Uh, the prophet Jeremiah put it well when he said, the heart is above all things deceitful and desperately wicked. Uh, what we see, of course, are the symptoms, the effects of uh, the plague of the heart. And that's what we normally call sins, uh, such things as lying, uh, murder, stealing, sexual immorality, and all those things are condemned by the Bible. But it doesn't start there. Uh, the problem is much deeper. It's the plague of the heart, this invisible uh, disease. And then there's something else about this plague. Like the coronavirus, it is extremely contagious. It's extremely contagious. Uh, now, we uh, again don't know uh, who uh, has the virus and who hasn't, uh, but uh, you only need to have one person with it. And if that person comes into contact with only a handful of people, uh, then uh, the virus spreads. But my friends, the scary thing about this spiritual virus is that everyone's a carrier. I'm a carrier. You're a carrier. We're born in sin. Uh, that's why uh, those of you uh, who are parents or have been parents, you never have to teach your child how to do wrong. You only uh, have to teach them what is right. We've got this bias. Um, I remember uh, playing bowls with a friend uh, many, many years ago. I haven't played it since, uh, and uh, we uh, played it, and I wasn't aware of the fact that when you bowl a bowl, uh, the bowl can't go in a straight line. It's got a weight inside of it, which causes it to swerve. That weight is called a bias, a bias. And that's what we've got in our hearts. There is this bias to turn away from what is good and right. Even if uh, we have been brought up in a respectable home, uh, it's still uh, this horrible uh, tendency uh, to turn towards what is wrong. And then there's something else about this horrible uh, spiritual virus. It's universal. It's universal. Uh, we again don't know what proportion of the population of our country has the coronavirus. But I can guarantee you, uh, because this is not my opinion, but what the Bible says, every person in our country is infected with sin. Uh, the Bible is absolutely clear here. There is none righteous. No, not one. Uh, it doesn't matter whether we are here in Cardiff uh, or whether we're up in the valleys uh, where James Allen, our preacher tonight, ministers. There's one thing that's true of all of us. We are sinners. It doesn't matter if we are in Britain with all of our privileges or if we are in the hills of Andhra Pradesh in India among tribal people. There is one thing that we have in common and that is this 
plague, this virus of sin. It's universal. And then, of course, like uh, the coronavirus, uh, sin uh, causes uh, us to uh, be isolated. Uh, there is social distancing uh, involved. Uh, you know what the essence of sin is? Uh, it's really pride. That's, that's what sin is all about, unbelief and pride. Uh, when the devil, who was created perfect, Lucifer, an angel that was created by God perfect, when he sinned, he was the first one to sin, it was pride that cast him uh, down from heaven. And if you imagine a person who thinks he's always right, and then if you've got another person who thinks that they are always right, you're going to have social distancing, aren't you? You're going to have isolation. And then that's not the worst thing. The worst thing about sin is that it distances us from our creator, from God. Uh, God is of purer eyes than to look at iniquity. And sin makes us unclean in God's sight. It's as if we say, I'm right and you are not. We put our fist up to God and it brings us under the judgment of God. So can, can you see the similarities and why this spiritual virus is worse? And then I've got another thing to mention. A coronavirus is quite a deadly virus as they go. And especially if you are taken to hospital, uh, I, I think it's uh, quite a, a high proportion of people who are hospitalized. Uh, they don't make it. But what's the mortality rate? with a spiritual virus. Do you know what it is? God says, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. It's 100%. The wages of sin is death. And it's not just the physical death, the separation of body and soul. It's eternal death being separated from God for all eternity. That, that's how serious uh, this is. You know, some people, they're still not taking seriously, are they? Uh, the need to uh, protect themselves from this virus. They're not taking seriously uh, the need uh, to keep social distancing. How much worse it is when we don't take seriously the warnings in God's word about this spiritual disease. Oh, are you, are you aware? Can I ask you this? Are you aware of the plague of, of your own heart? That's what Solomon uh, says in this prayer. When each one knows the plague of his own hearts, aren't we experts sometimes in other people's sins? But what the Bible is saying to us is, do you know that you are a sinner? That, that, that's what happens when we repent. Uh, it's coming to my senses spiritually. Uh, I'm the sinner. I'm the one that needs saving. I was um, reading the other day about um, a pastor somewhere. And he had a lady in his congregation come and see him in his office in the church. And she said uh, to, to this pastor, Pastor, I'm leaving the church. 
And he said, oh, why? And she went on to say that, that there are people in this church, they are gossiping all the time. And then there are other people uh, that they're just hypocritical. And then during the services, some of the young people, instead of listening to the sermon, they're just looking at their mobile phones. I can't be happy in a church like that. And so the pastor said, all right, but can I ask you to do one thing before you leave? And she said, what's that? I want you to take a glass of water and it's got to be full. And I want you to walk around the, the church, the sanctuary, three times trying to carry this glass of water and not spilling any of it. And she did that. And then she went back to see the pastor. She said, all right, I'm ready to leave now. And he said, okay, but before you leave, can I ask you some questions? And she said, go ahead. And he asked, when you were carrying that glass of water, did you see any people gossiping? No, she said. When you were carrying that glass of water, did you see any hypocrites? Oh, no, she said. When you were carrying that glass of water, he went on. Did you notice any young people looking at their mobile phones? Oh, no, she said. Why was that then? He asked her. Oh, she said. I was so focused on making sure that that glass uh, didn't uh, spill uh, that I did not really notice anything else. And he said to her, well, that's what you've got to do. You've got to so focus on your own relationship with God and on Jesus Christ that you're not looking at other people's faults. And isn't that what we need to take heed of, according to Solomon here? Know the plague of your own heart. So that, that's the first thing, why this is so relevant uh, to us. We're all sinners. But secondly, there is an antidote to this virus. Now, it may sound strange if we read it, uh, but let me open it up. Uh, if you take your Bible, verse 38, what's the antidote? Whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel and spreads out his hand towards this temple, now, what a strange antidote, you say. They were to pray toward the temple that Solomon had just built in Jerusalem. Now, maybe some are thinking, well, if, if I'm going to be saved from sin, if I'm going to be uh, forgiven uh, before God and made right with him and go to heaven, uh, then I must, as it were, pray and face east towards uh, Jerusalem. I remember the first time I flew to India, uh, the plane we were flying on, on the screen, uh, had this arrow uh, that pointed to Mecca uh, so that uh, any Muslims on board who needed to pray uh, knew uh, what direction uh, to face. And sometimes we can think in that sense that as long as I'm doing uh, my religious bits, then that adds somehow uh, to uh, my account before God. 
But that's not what Solomon means here. It's interesting, you see. There was only one place where these people are directed to if they want to be healed. God is saying to us this morning, there's only one antidote for our spiritual disease of sin. And it's the temple. It's the temple. Now, what, what's the temple? Well, we looked at this last Sunday in terms of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the tent in the wilderness where God dwelt. And later, uh, that was built as a temple. And it was based uh, in Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God. Now, whenever they make an antidote, uh, they usually make it from some of the poison. And it's a bit like that with the antidotes that God has provided for sin. What's the answer? Well, it's in the form of the problem. Well, what's the problem? Well, it's in us, isn't it? We are the problem. And the answer that God provided is in human form. Let me uh, give you a verse. Uh, we had it in our reading. For what the law, Romans 8, 3, what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, we can't, by keeping God's law, rid ourselves of sin. Indeed, trying to keep the law of God in our own strength makes us feel worse. But God did. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. What's the temple? The temple is the dwelling place of God. What's the temple now? The temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. We don't need a physical temple anymore because Jesus Christ is the true temple. He said, destroy this temple and in three days it will be rebuilt. When he was raised from the dead, he is now that spiritual temple. Man, yes, but not just a man. Yes, the perfect man, the only one that we can't uh, point a finger to. And yet, at the same time, the eternal God. Paul said it in Colossians 2, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There's only one antidote. There was only one place where a person afflicted with this disease could turn to. And there's only one we can turn to. And that is Jesus Christ. But what else was in the temple? There was a high priest in the temple. Only one. Only one. I know after the high priest died, he was replaced by another. But there was only one. One at a time. The priest represented the people before a holy God. The mediator. The go-between. Sinful people, pure God, the priest represented them. The priest offered sacrifices in the temple on the altar. A lamb without blemish was killed and the blood was shed. Only one altar, only one, only one high priest. And there are no more sacrifices, no more high priests, because it's all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The wonderful thing about Jesus Christ is this. Uh, he is our high priest, our mediator, but he's also the sacrifice. Uh, I can't get my head around that. 
when he died on that cross. He offered himself as a sacrifice. He was the lamb as well, without blemish. Uh, he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He shed his precious blood on that cross, uh, divine blood. And as a result of that, the righteous anger of God, which is upon us by nature, is turned away. God is propitiated. That's the theological term. And we, when we are covered in the blood, and that again is a spiritual thing, when we trust in Jesus Christ, his blood is sprinkled upon our hearts so that our holy God can forgive us. God can't just wink at sin. He must pay the price and blessed be his name. He's found an antidote in his son. And on that cross, Jesus took the virus upon himself, took all your sins and mine, and he died so that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good so that we might go at last to heaven saved by his precious blood. Uh, we've got to him. I think we're going to sing it at the end. And it says this, no blood, no altar now. The sacrifice is o'er. No flame, no smoke ascends on high. The lamb is slain no more. But richer blood has flowed from nobler veins to purge the soul from guilt and cleanse the reddest stains. Praise be to God. There is no more condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. The antidotes. That's good news, isn't it? Um, I remember reading earlier on in this virus when Italy was ravaged by it. Uh, there was a priest uh, in intensive care. And they didn't have enough. It was either a ventilator or an oxygen mask. But they didn't have enough to go around. And this priest gave his oxygen mask to a young man so that he could be saved. The priest died, but the young man was saved. And that's just a very weak illustration of what our great high priest did on that cross. He died so that we might be saved. He was wounded. For our transgressions, he was bruised. For our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. I've just got one more point very quickly. There's an antidote, but you and I are not going to be healed, are we? Unless we avail ourselves of this antidote. How can I? be cured. Listen again to Solomon here. Whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act. Whoever you are, I, I don't know you all. We may have others joining us uh, electronically. I don't know you all, but I know this. Like me, you're a sinner. And like me, you are hearing this morning about God's antidotes in Jesus Christ. And you can be healed. How? 
by turning to him in repentance and faith. That's what it means to repent. What does repent mean? It means to turn, to turn, to turn from my sin and turn in faith to this physician of souls, Jesus Christ. Uh, William Cooper, he wrote to him um, about this disease of sin. And he said this, heal us, Emmanuel. That's another name for Jesus. Hear our prayer. We wait to feel thy touch. Deep wounded souls to thee repair. And saviour we as such. Admit, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Thank God that he sent his son to be a saviour, a healer for your sin and just turn to him and cast yourself upon him. Uh, you know, we're still going to be waiting uh, probably a year at least for a vaccine uh, for, for this horrible virus. But when it comes to this disease of sin, there's already a vaccine. Today, it's available. We don't have to wait. Today, thy mercy calls us to wash away our sin. It doesn't matter how bad we are or how long we've been away from the Lord. Today, if we but turn to him. Uh, Cooper goes on to say, our faith is feeble, we confess, we faintly trust thy word, but wilt thou pity us the less, be that far from thee, Lord. It's not our faith that heals us, it's Christ. All faith does is rest, takes hold of him. Oh, what a mercy, what a mercy. I've already referred to the tribal people of Andhra Pradesh uh, in Southeast India. I was privileged many years ago to um, preach in uh, Beraka Church in Narsipadnam, uh, where Dr. Sundarao is the pastor. And before he became a gospel minister, he was a government vaccinator, government vaccinator. And he would travel around all the tribal hill villages, uh, giving vaccinations to people. And then God called him. Uh, and I don't think he changed his job, did he? He was still a vaccinator, but not working for the government anymore, but working for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now going around the tribal uh, villages of Andhra Pradesh with uh, the spiritual vaccine uh, that can heal us from the disease of sin. And th this is why uh, we preachers, uh, we, we are just so excited about preaching the gospel because it's not just uh, that we're telling uh, you about uh, the cure that is in Jesus Christ. Uh, it's not just a person going around with a vaccine, vaccinating others. Uh, the wonderful thing is this, we have been healed and that's why we want to tell others. I don't know if Sundarao uh, had been vaccinated himself uh, when he was a government vaccinator, but that makes all the difference, does it not? If we have tasted something of the forgiveness and of the grace of God and of the joy of salvation and the power, the wonder-working power of the blood of Jesus Christ, 
then it shows, doesn't it? When we then want to tell everybody about it. Imagine if somebody, um, I know this is um, uh, just uh, uh, an illustration, but imagine if somebody actually discovered a vaccine for the coronavirus in the next few weeks and it actually worked. I don't think they could keep quiet about it. And even if they'd be talking about it, they would be overwhelmed, wouldn't they? How much more when it comes to Jesus Christ? Well, I don't want to keep you for too long, but oh, don't you want to turn to him this morning? Don't you want to be saved? Cry to him, Lord, I see I'm a sinner. I see you've come and done everything to save me from my sin. And I hear your invitation and I'm going to trust in you. And it's a happy day when that happens. Oh, happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my saviour and my God. Uh, some of you may be clapping on Thursday evening for the NHS workers and we can understand uh, doing that, the sacrifices they are making. But how much more should we be rejoicing? Uh, as it were, the trees of the field clapping their hands. Uh, one of the illustrations in the Old Testament regarding this Saviour, Jesus Christ. And if you are uh, his, oh, be happy, Christian, because you are no longer under condemnation. Do what you did that first day you repented and believed. Keep on believing. We say that in Welsh, don't we? Dal Igredi, I'm still believing. Keep on repenting every day. Turn to him. Let me close uh, with an illustration of uh, Martin Luther. I love Martin Luther. As you can guess, uh, we had him last Sunday. And at times like these, he is uh, such uh, an antidote. And Luther uh, was very familiar with the devil. He, he was often attacked uh, by Satan. And uh, he had conversations with the devil. Uh, and here is one. Uh, the devil would come to him with a black list of his sins. Uh, a black roll, a long black roll of Luther's sins. And he's accusing him of all these things. Luther's a Christian now, remember. And Luther says, yes, I must own up to them all. Have you any more? And then the devil brings an even longer black roll with even more sins mentioned. And he reads them out in an accusatory tone. And Luther says, yes, yes, I must own them all. And then he says, have you any more? And the devil brings an even longer roll. Have you any more? Wasn't that enough? Says Satan. Hmm, says Luther. I want to write at the bottom. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth.
us from all sin. That's my receipt, says Luther. When Satan tempts you, tempts me to despair, tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. We've got a clean record. The receipt says, paid in full. God doesn't have a black book anymore. Our names are no longer blacklisted. We are now written with indelible ink in the Lamb's book of life. And nothing will remove our names. Oh, the plague of our own hearts. That's what the Bible is convicting us of. But it doesn't stop at that. It then tells us about this wonderful antidote God has provided in Jesus Christ. And we are to avail ourselves of him. And I can't see what is best, what is happiest than a person who does just that. May this day be a happy day for somebody who is listening. And may all of us know this wonderful Saviour for his namesake.